Welcome in Late Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, March 15th. I said Tuesday, that's right, the year of our Lord 2022. Jam-packed high atop and reprogrammed high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee. What happened the other night? I'll explain it momentarily, but we got basically two shows to get you tonight. And we've got a jam-packed edition of Late Kick Live. We have got not only the SEC, but now the SEC and the ACC, huge things to watch. We call them areas of focus, call them questions if you want to. There are a lot of things that are somewhat happening already in spring, but boy, these things, when they start to evolve and they start to make themselves known, this will, in many ways, decide these conference championship pictures, or at least the races. So we're going to talk about a lot of those because there's no sense in waiting until August to do that. We'll hit that tonight. It's Texas A&M Mood Tracker Night. We've had a solid, not just 24 hours, but 72 hours to think about that. And one of you asked about this whole Kirk Street Amazon NFL thing. Do we have any inclination to what's going on there? Well, of course. I have access to the internet, so I know everything. Uh, I'll give you a couple of thoughts on that tonight. may not go the direction you think. I'll go on it. But they're watching us tonight. Jesse Collin, they're watching us. In Foley, Alabama, shout out to the late Kenny Stabler and the current Julio Jones. Uh, Montreal, Quebec, Canada is tuned in. Gray, Georgia tuned in. Las Colinas, Texas tuned in. The other night, as you are well aware by now, we were supposed to have Late Kick Live on Sunday. And... I don't know what to tell you. Satan got involved. Very real. And he was working in the building Sunday night. So we had to postpone. That's not what I want to talk about because we've rectified that situation. A lot of people behind the scenes did a lot of work to rectify that situation. Colin and Jesse yelled at the right people and we're back on air. But back in the day, now just short story before we get into the show tonight. Back in the day when we first started doing Late Kick independently down in Columbus, Georgia, there was a time where we were thrilled if we hit the 20 viewer threshold. 20 people watching the show at any given point was a really big deal. Not kidding you, it was a really big deal. And then you fast forward to the other night, and we had several hundred of you watching nothing as the show had been delayed 45 minutes to an hour, and then I had hundreds more of you emailing or DMing asking, what happened? Where's the show? I just woke up on Monday morning. That's when I listened to it. Or, or it's later Sunday night. That's when I like to watch it. What I want to say is I appreciate that because it's March. You know, research and data says that you're not supposed to be here, but yet you are because, as you know, we operate our show a little differently and our little community here, we operate differently. It did not go unnoticed. It doesn't bother me at all when you ask about the show. Uh, it's our job to produce it. You guys show up and when it's not there, you complain. I don't get bothered by that. I appreciate it because the alternative is what we used to have to do. And I much prefer it this way. Uh, so thank you guys for all that. Let's dive into the show tonight because we got a whole lot to get to. Ah, spring focus. I, as a lot of people would call these questions. I, in some ways, they're questions, but I just want to tell you where my mind's at with several teams. We got a number of them tonight in multiple conferences. In the SEC, let's start and let's look around this conference and let's talk about biggest areas of focus right now. How about wide receiver at AM? The entire developmental process of wide receiver at Texas AM. Now, this is not a one year thing. This has been something that folks in and around College Station they have looked at for quite a while with their program and they've seen that. We got some really good talent and we got depth along both lines of scrimmage. Our personnel, they look good when they get off the bus. Uh, we've even had varying degrees of good quarterback play here, but we have not really been able to stretch the field. F famously, they have not been able to stretch the field. 92nd in pass plays of 20 plus yards in 2021. Had issues at quarterback. I uh, didn't have a full uh, cupboard stocked with elite wide receiver talent. So we've got Anaya Smith coming back and then we've got a blank. And in that blank, I just wrote the word opportunity. A lot of guys have opportunity. Uh, Jalen Wiedermeyer's gone. There are a lot of guys with opportunity here. Now, the guy that they are going to look at, first and foremost, from a national perspective, so I guess the guy that we're going to look at a lot is Evan Stewart. 
We made a big deal about his recruitment for good reason. He's one of the best skills, uh, collections, I guess, of skill, you would call it, in the country, regardless of position. But he signed with Texas A&M, uh, five-star in every sense of the word, and he's going to be given the opportunity to compete, as they all are, but he's got a legitimate shot to lock down real playing time and be an immediate contributor there. What about Tennessee? Let's go over to Knoxville, Tennessee. Let's talk about cornerback development. See, a lot of folks, I think with a lot of these programs, the natural inclination in the spring is to say, all right, what does quarterback look like? What does running back wide receiver look like? Yes, yes, we can do that, and we're going to do that plenty. But corner is a particular area of focus for me with Tennessee. Uh, they have an interesting season to look back on at Tennessee. You look back and you remember, well, you probably remember the bowl game, but you also remember there was some up, there was some down, but you expected disaster at the beginning of the year. So they overachieved relative to expectation. They lost six games last year. But I want to remind you how the season shook out. See, they got blown out by Georgia. They got blown out by Bama. Uh, they lost handedly to Florida. Those three weren't close. But they had games against Pitt, Ole Miss, and Purdue, the bowl game, that were all one possession games. So they look at it and they said, well, we ended up being bowl eligible. We had three more games that were well within our reach. How close are we really to be in an eight-win team, nine-win team? Well, the answer is not that far away from it. But then you don't just get to build automatically on where you were last season. It's not onward and upward. Uh, sometimes there's some things that you have to replace from last year. And at Tennessee, they've got three corner spots to fill, really. Alante Taylor's gone. Theo Jackson's gone. Those were the two mainstays at corner. And so multiple guys are needed. Uh, that is, as we always say around here, why God invented spring practice. And that's what they're going to be working on over there. Um, the reason that matters is because it doesn't really matter if you get them to third and 11 a whole lot. If they know that they can just 50-50 you to death and it really turns into like a 70-30 proposition for them because you don't have consistent corner play. Keep an eye on the defensive back position at Tennessee. At LSU, now this one's right up front and in your face. It's kind of like Clemson. We're going to talk about them in a little while. LSU, the quarterback rotation. That's the area of focus for me. I'm less sold on this concept that Jaden Daniels is just coming in and grabbing that job by the throat than some people are. Some people are not like that. Some people around LSU think, yeah, it's going to be a legitimate competition. But uh, since we didn't have a show Sunday night, and I was able to reach out a little bit more on this particular subject of LSU quarterback rotation, I had someone make the case for Jaden Daniels. I had a couple of people make the case for Miles Brennan. I had one dude strongly make the case for Garrett Nussmeyer. And basically what that tells me, because these are all... Folks who watch and follow the program on a day-to-day -day basis, they're informed, I trust their opinions. It's wide open. This is not anyone's job. It's not some formality. Plus, it's a new staff. So no one even knows anyone. So this is going to be something to watch. I could be sold on a scenario where any of these three guys, even if everyone's healthy, any of these three guys ends up starting. Now, the OC there, for those unfamiliar, Mike Denbrock comes there by way of Cincinnati. This is a guy who's gotten used to having mobility as a factor at the quarterback position. Doesn't mean he has to have it. Doesn't mean his offense is predicated on it. It does mean that he is, well, as of recently, been most comfortable with that factor there. Does it come into play? We'll see. I think what they want more so than a specific skill set, they want poise and they want good decision making. That's what they're looking for at quarterback. And then if they find a guy, whether it's Miles Brennan who has that or Jaden Daniels or Garrett Nussmeyer, that's who's going to be starting. Bold prediction, I know. That's who's going to be starting week one for LSU. Hey, the offensive line situation at Alabama, I think, bears very close watching. Over the course of preview magazine season, which is coming up, and uh, SEC media day season and whatnot, 
You're going to be told this is the overwhelming favorite to win the national championship. You're going to look at these headlines that tell you Alabama's got the shortest odds to win the title of any team since fill in the blank, and that's all well and good, and they, they, they may very well be my preseason prediction to win the national championship for all I know. But I will tell you this, this particular Alabama team is not sitting here in spring like they normally are with these stalwarts that you can write names and sharpies of at the offensive tackle positions. They don't have that right now. Nick Saban spoke about it at his first press conference. They've already started spring ball. Now, he didn't paint some doom and gloom scenario or picture, but he did. I kind of think he was very real with it. He listed names, uh, Kendall Randolph, uh, Javion Cohen, uh, who else? Tommy Brockermeyer, Damian George. These are guys that a lot of people, when they committed Alabama, penciled in as interior offensive line guys. And then J.C. Latham, who's also working in the mix here, I think he's a He's a second-year guy. He may be a redshirt freshman, but he's a second-year guy. That's the one who, when they got him out of high school, was one of those high-profile five-star types, the, the Evan Neals, the Alex Leatherwoods of the world. J.C. Latham was going to be that next guy, and uh, he may very well be. He just hasn't seen the field yet. But I'm very curious how this works out, because it could be that you know Bryce Young, and so you know a lot of the higher-profile facets of the team, but offensive line may get overlooked. So we're not going to overlook it on this show. So keep an eye on the offensive tackle spot. Interior, I don't have a problem. I don't think they have any issue there. I think they'll have multiple quality pieces from which to choose. But the offensive tackle situation, just let's pay attention to it. Auburn, I don't even have a specific position that I've carved out here because there are a lot of them. So the area of focus for me with Auburn is team stability. It's generic, and it's generic for a reason. The new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, very, very hazy quarterback picture right now at Auburn. I'll tell you this, though. Brian Harson, to his credit, went on a couple of shows the other day. He went on uh, Cole and Greg McElroy's show. He went on uh, Next Round Live with our friends down there in Birmingham. I think he should do more public appearances. I thought he was funny. thought he sounded really loose. thought he sounded really, as, as some of my uh, friends like to say, cool, calm, and elected. Uh, well, he's the head coach at Auburn, and a lot of folks didn't think he'd have that title two months ago, so They've got a lot to figure out. You know, they've lost a lot on the defensive line, too. See, you've had the drama with the head coaching uh, rumors and somewhat headlines, but mainly rumors. And then you've had the coordinator and the staff churn. They lost a lot of defensive line depth, too. So this is not the league to be saying that in. It's what I'm telling you. Uh, Is the churn finished is the question I have. The churn meaning the upheaval, guys hitting the exit door. It's not just a given that that's the case. They certainly probably feel like it's done, but you've got spring ball, then you're going to come out of spring, and let's see what that looks like. But at quarterback, anyone's guess is as good as anyone else's there. And I'm talking even about people who are inside the program. Ask some folks inside the program. I have. They don't know. Uh, They think T.J. Finley, probably have him written in very light pencil, but Zach Calzada's come in there. Robbie Ashford's come in there. A lot of them like Davis, the second-year guy. And he's the only homegrown product they have there right now. Those are some areas of focus. And you know, we could do a whole other segment because I, I didn't even mention Georgia. There's a first-year staff at Florida. I didn't even mention uh, Kentucky. I did not. You know what? Save that. We may actually have some more SEC to talk about. You know, I want to give a shout out tonight. I don't ever get political on the show, but I guess it's not political when everyone agrees on something, right? Shout out to the U.S. Senate tonight. You guys are normally like an East Coast version of the NCAA. Can't stand it. Never get anything I want from the Senate. But the Sunshine Protection Act, I am in full favor of. These people have finally done what always needed to be done with daylight savings, and that is wad it up and throw it in the nearest garbage can. So hats off 
We applaud you from late kick to the U.S. Senate. Uh, this is, to me, as big a deal, as big a thing that's happened in this country since the Pacific Railway Act of 1862. And we all know how important that was. So hats off to the U.S. Senate. Now that you've got some more daylight coming your way in 2023, I think they had to delay it until 2023. It's still got to pass through the House, but I think it will. Uh, so that concludes the political uh, side of late kick tonight. Hey, now that you're going to have more sunshine, you know where you need to go. Yeah. Yeah, Academy Sports and Outdoors. That's exactly where you need to go. They sent me some new ad copy, which I did not bring in the studio, so I'm not going to read it. But you should see the laundry list of brands. And I have internet here, but I'm just not going to pull it up. The laundry list of brands. Everything from, of course, the gear to the coolers and uh, everything in between. Tents. We already touched on that the other night. Many tents for you to look at in the store at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And then big tents for you to take home. When I mentioned the tents the other night, no less than, uh, I, I will safely say a dozen of you, went and bought them and sent me pictures of them in uh, varying stages of being put together. Thank you from me and Academy. Look, I, we can't do anything more than give you daylight, okay? That is taking the horse to the water, or in this case, the viewer to the front door of Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now go in and now enjoy everything they have to offer and know that thanks to the U.S. Senate for a change, something good's going to happen in your life. And you're actually going to have a little bit more sunshine. Now, Academy could not have taken care of that for you. But now that your friends in the U.S. Senate have, now Academy can take care of everything else you need. And I know that this is not starting until 2023. But look, why don't you get a head start on it? It's already spring anyway. You know, we, we just sprung forward. So you've got your daylight right now. It's not until the evil fall and winter get here that we have to worry about the 430 uh, sunsets here in Nashville. But Academy Sports and Outdoors, no matter what it is you're getting yourself into this spring and summer, Academy Sports and Outdoors and Academy.com. If you can't make it there in person, that is the place for you. I'll tell you where else they're watching us tonight. They're watching us, believe it or not, in Anchorage, Alaska. Yes, they are. They're watching us in Franklin, Ohio and LaBelle, or maybe it's the Y sound. Maybe it's LaBay, Florida. I bet you it's LaBelle, Florida. Anyway, they're watching us in all three locations. Thank you so much for that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And with that, we shift our attention to, this may sound boring to some of you, because I'm about to talk about ACC football. Wait until you hear what I talk about, because a lot of this is going to directly impact you, because if your team participates and has any aspiration of achieving anything of relevance in this sport, you may be in competition, not only on the recruiting trail, but also just flat out in the playoff conversation with a lot of these programs. Yeah, imagine a world where multiple ACC programs, maybe a little ways down the road, are competing for the playoff. Let's dive into this. Here you go, Colin. Here's your endpoint. ACC, spring focus here. We got to start at Clemson. We got to start at quarterback. This is the most obvious point of focus for anyone up and down the Atlantic Coast Conference. Last year, even if things started to go sideways, which they did early on, and it looked like DJ Uyangalale wasn't quite playing at the level we all thought he was, it just was what it was. That's what you had to tell yourself. I, in fact, I guarantee you, a lot of folks in Rock Hill, South Carolina, for example, where they're watching us tonight, if you are a Clemson Tiger fan, I know that's Gamecock country, but if you're a Clemson Tiger fan there, you're watching and you're saying, on one hand, I don't like what I'm seeing from DJ. That much is true. On the other hand, looking at our depth chart here, uh, nope, 
Nothing there. It kind of is what it is. Well, this year, let's hope that we don't have to get that far. Let's hope you don't have to look at the TV screen again and say, ooh, DJ, not looking good again this year. But if you do say that, maybe this year it's not just it is what it is. Maybe Cade Klubnick comes in, who's a five-star true freshman, and maybe he makes you say, all right, I don't like what I'm seeing so far, but now we've got an option. Dabo Swinney knows how important this is. He has been very open about this and spoken about how it's a good thing that Klubnick is in for the spring. Uh, he's talking about giving him a ton of reps. They got to see what they have in him because they've got to see really if they have two legitimate quarterbacks that they feel comfortable going into a game week with. And I think it's going to end up being the case. A lot of people have very high hopes for Kay Klubnik. I am one of them. Fairness, they had high hopes for DJ Uyangalale. It's not like we're writing the guy off. He's been a starter for a grand total of one year. But if that is the worst case this year, and the worst case is got another five-star on deck here, let's try him out. That's not the worst place to be in the world. Down the road, a considerable ways at Miami, what would you ask? What's your biggest area of focus? Would you be asking about quarterback? That's fair. Uh, you could just be asking about the entire staff because everyone in the house is brand new. I'll tell you what I am focused on. I should note, by the way, Brandon Marcello did this full feature the other day. I took a lot from the cues that he listed because he had a, a number of good points to make. I think Hummer did the SEC piece for that matter. But at Miami, there are some really, really atrocious numbers in the Department of Tackling from last year. In fact, the last three years, they, they were very poor, very poor tackling team. Tackling. I mean, I don't know that you get the best read on this in spring football, but my goodness, they were 127th in FBS in tackling last year. That puts them dead last. Worst power five tackling team in the country. And it wasn't a good thing when your head coach was a former defensive coordinator. You know, that's, you want your thumbprint on the program. And if you're a defensive guy and that's your thumbprint, it kind of gives you a pretty good indication why they felt like it was time to move on. Like I said, this is not the easiest thing to gauge. A lot of times you're, time you're just thudding in practice, period, no matter what time of year it is, but especially in spring. But at the very least, when we get to the spring game, we'll get to see uh, somewhat a vision of that. Kevin Steele's the defensive coordinator there now, for those who haven't kept up. So let's keep an eye on Miami tackling. What about in Tallahassee? What about Florida State? Florida State, the theme with the Seminoles, to me, is the same version of Auburn's theme when we talked about the Tigers there in the SEC. It's not one position I'm focused on. It's just the program overall. It's the general level of play. Mike Norvell's entering his third season. The first year was that COVID year where they didn't get spring, so they weren't doing anything this time two years ago. But there isn't one bright blinking red light on the program. There are a number of areas they've had a varying degree of deficiency in. Now, to his credit, and we've talked about this in the last two weeks, Mike Norvell didn't come in and preach anything other than that. He didn't come in and try and fool people. He didn't come in and, and promise the world year one or year two. He didn't say, give me 12 months and we'll have this thing turned around. He knew. He did an honest assessment, and then he was honest with his fan base and his boosters and whatnot. They have massively relied on the portal. And so now when you got that plus a couple of recruiting cycles under your belt, you look at their roster, it's his. It's his team now. Doesn't take as long as it used to, especially when you use the methods that they've used. How do you get to eight wins? If you talk to most Florida State fans, that eight number, it's a very common number. Uh, they look at it and they say, if we could get eight wins out of this schedule, that would, no matter how we got there, that would definitively lead me to believe we're on the right track. You could achieve that with seven wins or nine wins, but eight wins. Where do you find eight wins? What level of play do we have to be at to 
meet that eight win threshold. It's a very realistic goal. I think it's attainable. You're looking at the schedule right now for Florida State in 2022. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, Duquesne, talked about the pronunciation there. We've been doing flashcards in the newsroom there. So Duquesne to open. Uh, they do have LSU this year do the Florida State Seminoles, but it's a workable schedule. It's an ACC schedule. It's a workable schedule. Eight wins. What kind of level of play are we looking at? Georgia Tech's a program we haven't talked about in a hot minute around here, so let me touch on them because it's kind of the same theme at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech, at the conclusion of last year, there were a lot of folks who thought that there was going to be complete staff overhaul. And there almost was, but not at the head coaching position. So Jeff Collins is still there, but he replaced, I believe, yes, six of 10 assistant coaches. So I think it was Marcelo who pointed out in the feature, normally when you've got that, either it means you've had a ton of success in year four or year three, and therefore some guys got poached and you're having to overhaul in year four. Rarely though, are you seeing a coach overturn that large a chunk of his coaching staff in year four? Because most of the time, if you're having to make that much change voluntarily, it normally means just everyone got fired. But that's not the case at Georgia Tech. Kind of a happy medium, minus the happy. And so Jeff Collins has got a lot to prove this year. They also lost a lot of guys to the portal. They lost at last check 12. Uh, they've had 12 guys transfer out of there. But look, that sounds like it paints a picture of a no-win situation. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Uh, I think a lot of times when you've got a formula that has not worked, change is not the worst thing in the world. So I you know, I would venture to think inside that building, whereas you look at these numbers and you say, well, if we weren't screwed before we are now, I bet there's a little more excitement around there. You don't, you don't ever relish in people losing their jobs, but uh, they, it's just, you've already tried one way. It doesn't really make much sense to keep doing it the same way. You just kind of pound your head against a wall. It's not like they don't have familiar names walking around there either. Chip Long is the offensive coordinator there. Chris Winkie uh, is the quarterback's coach there. To give you an idea, it's not like they brought in or elevated grad assistants to all of a sudden major uh, power five assistant coaching positions. The overall level of play. It's the same question as we have at Florida State. Lastly, you know, there's new coaches in both of the major Virginia schools. You got Brent Pry at Virginia Tech and you got Tony Elliott there at Virginia. Uh, this was an unexpected head coaching change, though, at Virginia. Tony Elliott, former uh, offensive coordinator there for a while at Clemson. He goes to Charlottesville, Virginia. He's the head coach at Virginia now. They got a huge offensive line rebuild. I mean, a big one. And I know you talk about a lot of them. Oh, we got to replace three starters. Uh, yeah, they'll trade places with you instantly if you offered it to Virginia. Listen to this. So they've had 21 kids exit via the portal, not on the offensive line. That would be a record. They've had 21 kids total exit via the portal. The offensive line has just been the position group that got the most gutted. They've lost six offensive linemen in one cycle. They've lost three starters. They did pick up two grad transfer offensive linemen, but they won't be there until the summer. So right now, as they're going into spring, unless something changed in the last 24 hours, they've got one offensive lineman on the roster with any experience, starting experience. So not the most enviable position for a new coaching staff to inherit, but that is what it is at Virginia. So I think a lot of people from, again, the old 50,000 foot spring view, they're probably going to look at Virginia. And anybody who ever believed in Tony Elliott, They'll look and they'll say, oh, Tony Elliott plus Armstrong's still there, the quarterback. So he gets uh, a returning starter at quarterback. Maybe they'll be a pop team in year one. You better have an offensive line to play behind. They don't have it right now. So they could be, it could be a rough year for them unless some real, real, real magic happens in development and then probably the post-spring transfer portal too.
Uh, boy, some interesting things to talk about still tonight. And it's a good thing because they're watching us in Dahlonega, Georgia. Took a field trip to Dahlonega one year. Also, Wichita Falls, Texas tuned in, which is apropos because we're taking the Moon Tracker out to the Lone Star State tonight. Appreciate you guys being tuned in wherever you are, by the way. The Moon Tracker rolls on tonight, and we are headed to College Station, Texas. The Texas A&M Aggies. Now, I've got, I got a lot of love for Texas A&M right now. It's a big program, so therefore it's a big fan base. We have a large chunk of our viewership from A&M, but that's not the reason I love them, at the moment at least. It's a general reason. I'll tell you why I love A&M right now. Two reasons, actually. They are doing the Lord's work in batting down a couple of the big lies in college football. You know the big lies. We've spoken about them. They are numerous. But two of the big lies are stars are overrated and you are what your record says you are. And Texas A&M is out here fighting a good fight. First off, let's talk about you are what your record says you are, which none of us believe in on this show. It's one of the big lies in college football. Well, there's a whole lot of excitement around A&M, a whole lot of hype, but they just went eight and four. How do we explain the two? Because there's, there's unusual hype around Texas A&M. They're not always this way. So anyone who comes up and says, oh, A&M's always that way. No, they haven't been. There's never been this level of collective excitement and hype around this program. Yet they just went eight and four. How do you explain that if you are what your record says you are? Well, it is who you played and it's who you beat. That's how you explain it. And then you got to know the circumstances. You got a quarterback get knocked out, so you reassess expectations at that point. But they played in the SEC and they also beat Alabama. So with a backup quarterback, they did both of those things. They won eight games. It, uh, it's not always just strictly you are what your record says you are. There's a lot more context that is included there. And then the stars don't matter crowd. I really want you guys to pull up a chair. Make room on the front row. Let the stars don't matter crowd have your seat for a second because I need them to see what's about to happen at Texas A&M. It's not going to take three years. This class they just brought in, don't know which ones yet, but a number of those guys are going to be impact players as true freshmen. Not only is it the highest rated class in A&M history, let me remind everyone, highest rated class in recruiting history. And we've been doing this for quite a while now at 24-7 Sports. Highest rated class in all of the history of major college football recruiting. That's why they're excited. And I know a lot of you out there who have the defense mechanism up. You're not an A&M fan, maybe. And you're looking and you're saying, oh, yeah, but some of those guys will transfer. They will. I can almost assure you some of the guys in this class will transfer. Yeah. Uh, so will yours, by the way, at your program, wherever you are. Some of them won't pan out. I can promise you they won't. Some of them absolutely will not pan out. But here's what's going to happen. Even after you apply both of those filters, there are going to be some studs out of this class that play this year. And then they are going to be uh, one to two dozen of them who end up doing extremely, extremely big things. I don't know that I've ever used that combination in a sentence in College Station. So anyway, those two things I personally appreciate because the two uh, big lies in college football that a and helping to put a fire extinguisher on couldn't approve any more of the work they're doing there. Which brings me to the mood. What's the mood? This is the mood tracker. We're taking a temperature of the fan base. What's the mood? Well, I was over on Texags. And I've been doing it for 72 hours now because we had our Sunday show delayed. And over at Gigum 24-7, and I was asking our friends over on both boards, fill in the blank, you know the drill, my mood towards Texas A&M football is what? Uh, there, were, there were virtually no people that had any kind of, any kind of um, temperament. But yet there's also not that collective, we're over the cliff now, you know, we've jumped. It's, not, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a combination, it's kind of a blending of the two. So here's what I labeled it as. The mood at Texas A&M right now, it is blueprint euphoria. 
This is a long-suffering fan base. You got to understand something. When you talk to a group of Texas A&M fans, they've seen a lot. They've been around the block. They've understood heartache. They've understood underachievement. Uh, they know how high they should have been flying a long time ago. Well, that's in the past, but they feel like they've got the blueprint to address it now, and they feel like they've got the guy in Jimbo Fisher to address it now. For a program that has not sniffed the college football playoff, these folks have a pretty darn good understanding of where they are right now in the college football playoff picture. And that is not there, but well on their way. And that's how they kind of view their expectations. That's the prism with which they view their expectations. There's a ton of enthusiasm. Uh, there is not a doubt about the overall ultimate destiny of the program. Every one of them expect to get there. And most of them expect to eventually win a national championship. They don't have their chips all in on 2022, though. They expect improvement. Uh, they, expect, they expect some tangible progress to be made in certain areas, like, for example, being able to do better down the field on third down and, and just stretching the field in general at wide receiver position. They expect to see an infusion of this young talent. Uh, they expect to improve at quarterback and build depth there so that they can stay healthy. And even if they don't, uh, they don't have to you know, watch their entire season go off the rails, get better along both lines of scrimmage, see that defensive line class start to get their roots planted there. Yeah, yeah, well, they want to see all that. That doesn't automatically mean 11-1 and in a playoff trip or a trip to Atlanta for the SEC title game. If it turns out that way, great. But the mood around Texas A&M does not revolve around what are we going to do this year? It's what are we going to do over the next decade? It's not a lightning in a bottle approach at Texas A&M right now. That's what I'm trying to tell you. They're a lot more of the mindset of trying to build a mansion than a bouncy castle. Some programs have to build up two or three years just to try and pop one year. That's not the model here. The model here is that they have invested maximum in facilities and resources in general. They are a maximum investor in recruiting. And so now they're not building towards a year at Texas A&M. They're building towards several years, hopefully consecutively down the road. This is not a, <laughs> the approach to Texas A&M, it's not a year. It's the next several years. And that's kind of the mood right now. So they believe in the blueprint. They are euphoric about the blueprint. And they're euphoric about finally having, as they see it, the right guy. And Jimbo Fisher has hired a great staff. And they're not making excuses. In fact, they're, they're pretty big-chested about it. They're very boisterous about it. But it's a confidence thing. They appreciate that. And they really don't care that you don't appreciate it. It's kind of the same way we've talked for a while now about their game day traditions and their traditions at A&M in general. I love going out there because, you know, the, all the Aggie fans will tell you, look, we know we get made fun of, but now that you're here and I love going out there, so I appreciate it. So once they see you appreciate it, they'll let you in on the secret. And the secret is, hey, uh, if you're in this thing, it makes perfect sense. And if you're not of it, you'll never understand it anyway. So we don't really worry about all that. So I go to A&M and I, you know, I talk about how great it is. And then I'll have people tell me, oh, it's this, it's that. It's your opinion. I got mine. I happen to love it out there. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that it's always sold out in about 70 degrees when I go out there. So however you guys do that, keep it up. But it's not about a year. It's not about, oh, could we build towards 2024 or 25? Or, or could we, we got to make it happen this year in 22? It's not that. They are building a very, very sustainable, long-term run type of program there. So blueprint euphoria. That's what I arrived at as the mood right now for Texas A&M. How about the fact that they're watching us in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada tonight? A lot of these, a lot of these towns, I got to be honest with you, I grew up watching pro wrestling. So I remember towns like Vancouver and Calgary and Toronto and Montreal and Hamilton. I remember them from pay-per-views. I think Breakdown 98, Jesse, Breakdown 98 was probably in Hamilton. 
So there you go. Hamilton, Georgia, about 10 minutes north of where I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. They're watching us there. Tullahoma, Tennessee, they're tuned in. Denver, Colorado tuned in. Thank you guys so much for that. So I want to wrap it up with a question tonight that uh, one of you had three days ago, and we're just now being able to get to it. I'll wait for the graphic. There we go. Okay, here we go, Colin. So there's a lot going on in media right now. Troy Aikman getting about 18.5 a year to go to ESPN. Joe Buck around 14, 15 million a year. A lot of big moves. You know what? Our buddy Kirk Herbstreet's on the move too. One of you asked, RJ Neal actually asked, Kirk Herbstreet doing double duty now for Amazon and ESPN. What are your thoughts on that? Now, in case you missed this, and a lot of you may have, uh, Andrew Marchand with the New York Post was the first to break this story uh, about a week ago now. So it appears... I don't know that Amazon's put out an official release, but according to Andrew Marchand of the New York Post, Kirk Herbstreet's going to do the Thursday night NFL package for Amazon. Uh, side note, Amazon is going to have Thursday night football. So Kirk Herbstreet doing the Thursday night lead analyst position for Amazon. Now, the first thing that probably pops in your mind is he's leaving college football? No, doesn't appear that way. It appears, according to the report, that he will still fulfill all of his college football duties. That, I assume, is game day and the Saturday night game on ABC. A lot of work. Even if you got the PJ, got the old private jets, a lot of work. Uh, probably cut out to do it, though. You know, if we know Kirk Herbstreet like we all think we do by this point, yeah, I think he's cut out to do it. But this is an interesting question because then we got a lot of follow-ups on this. I picked one question, but like 10 of you asked about this. Um, a lot of you just want to know, well, number one, everyone always wants to know how much money someone's making. And fortunately for you, I have some intel on this. Approximately a bazillion dollars. That's how much Herb Street signed with Amazon for. So congratulations there. Uh, next question that a lot of you have is, why in the world is the talent in the booth being paid, in some cases, more than the talent on the field? This is where you get a lot of folks into pretty heated arguments. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of behind-the-scenes media look and not necessarily even my opinion on this. My opinion is, good for Kirk Herbstreet, everybody go get as much money as you can. That's my opinion on it. Uh, don't forget where you came from, I guess would be my follow-up. But secondly, you know, you gotta understand the evolution. Think about the way that you watch college football or watch the NFL. You have watched it forever on CBS or NBC or Fox. And because you've always known you have to go to those legacy media outlets, to consume those big sporting products like the NFL, it's never been necessary for them to have big names in the booth, recognizable names. They've had them, but they weren't necessary because you're gonna watch Steelers Bengals even if you have to watch it on mute. Some of you watch the game on mute anyway. Some of you do not care for the broadcast experience during a game. That's your prerogative. Uh, the data shows vast majority of you do listen to the broadcast feed. And so therefore, for a long time, you had one approach. Well, now you have non-legacy entities entering the equation. Your Amazons, for example, they won't be the last, they're just the one there now. Um, Netflix could be there, of course, YouTube TV there. Well, anyway, those are not places that you have been trained to go. And so what do they have to do? They have to attract you there. Now, having the product itself, if it's, if it's desirable enough, people will go find it. And we all know that. I mean, every metric in our industry shows that. But it helps to have attractive names attached to your product, especially if you are a non-legacy outlet or an entity like Amazon. And so that's why they're willing to do that. Also, I don't know if you've noticed, but it's Amazon. 
So they're worth a lot of money. They have it to throw around. Um, we, just, we just broke the news that Herb Street's making a bazillion dollars. Even that is still only a small sliver of the Amazon pie. Uh, they're doing it because they can, and they're doing it because it's very smart business. But I think it's crazy to look at, and I think it's sending kind of a reverberation throughout that industry. It makes people like me wonder why I never got in the booth or tried out. I did Columbus Lions games for a while, so if anyone's listening, I don't even require a bazillion. I'll take half that. I, right, you know what? The philanthropic side of me is even willing to take a quarter of that to go do games in the booth. But real talk here. You know, it's an evolution now. Uh, you, you've never seen guys make anywhere close to that much, which brings you back to a guy in Kirk Herbstreet who you've always viewed as a college football lifer. I mean, I can't imagine when this offer was put on his plate. There were rumors. There, there, have been all, there are always rumors about what everyone's going to do next. But, you know, you would always hear things about Kirk Herbstreet and other names and, you know, maybe that Monday Night Football spot or maybe an NFL spot. And he's done some NFL games. This wouldn't be a first for him. But... How do you say no to this? Who in the world, who in the, I dare anyone to tell me that say no to this. You're talking about generationally life-changing money, just doing it for six months or five months for one time. Uh, for all I know, he'll do it for the next decade. But man, you do this once. You spin that wheel once. You have, um, you have lined your pockets and the pockets of your grandchildren, great-grandchildren for a long time to come. So congratulations there. I don't think it's the last big name from the traditionally college-type landscape that is going to test the waters of the NFL. That's kind of the way it is now. Now, I'll tell you what else is interesting. This new concept of it used to be that a guy worked for a company. Well, now you're seeing guys wear one blazer with a logo on it for one week, and then, and then the next night they're on another network. That's another interesting concept. When you mix TV and digital, when you mix TV and streaming, just telling you the contracts, the way they're written in our industry, the language is being updated. In fact, there are lawyers working on that as we speak. Because it used to be you had to guard against your guys going and doing work for other networks. Well, now, what in the world was Amazon five years ago, 10 years ago? It wasn't anywhere that your on-air talent was ever going to do an NFL game. A lot of interesting times that we're in right now. But uh, that's my thought there. Good for Kirk Herbstreit. That's, that's my stance on that. Thank you guys for watching. Uh, it's a Tuesday night show. We obviously don't do Tuesday night shows in the offseason very often. But we had to do it tonight because we owed you one. So thank you so much for this. Remember, whether you're watching on YouTube or whether you're listening on any of the podcast platforms, the big, big, big help that you can give us right now is subscribing. You're already listening and watching, so it's not a huge ask. Subscribe as you do. And then a five-star review in the pod or a like on the YouTube channel. That's just a little bonus, but subscribe. That helps us out. Thank you so much for Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, for our production executives here. Thank you for making time on a Tuesday night or maybe a Wednesday morning, wherever you are. I'm Josh Pate. Take care. We'll see you again Thursday night. Until then, God bless.